So I was just scrambling the first couple of years trying to find advertisers. And again, it was always just covering my cost. The guests were there, but that business side of radio or podcasting is it's not easy. You're listening to Stories from the Top, an inside guide to better business development. We are here with Susan Rocco, the founder and host of Women to Watch Media. Sue, for people who don't know what your podcast and show is, can you just explain what it is? Sure. Um, So what I do is every week I sit down with a woman who's a leader in her industry, um, her company, and I we have a very kind of intimate one-on-one conversation. Um, I'm working in every interview to not only tell their life story, but really connect the dots between that little girl and the woman she is today. So um, it's a podcast. We stream on 6abc.com. And um, the show itself itself has a wonderful uh, relationship with our sponsors in that they become a very integral part of the show. And they have segments that come in and out of my interview talking about business and technology and health and whatever field they're working in. So, yeah, you've been doing the show for a long time. There's been a lot of evolution for it. What did you originally go to school for? What were your plans? Communications. Okay, so you were in the right direction. So how did you go from school into broadcast? What kind of sparked? Uh, It took a long time. (laughs) I'm a great, great example of it's never too late um, to follow your dreams. So I did. I went to Villanova, and I got a degree in communications. And when I graduated, um, I always say this very openly, I just did not have the guts to pursue um, a position in media. Um, So I bounced around for a long time with a lot of jobs. I worked um, for an advertising agency. Uh, Then I spent a couple years at the Philadelphia Museum of Art in public relations. Um, And then I had an excessive amount of different sales jobs, um, all the while trying to um, really figure out where I was meant to be and what I was meant to be doing. So um, at 48 years old, I walked into a radio station with an idea for a show. Um, That was in 2012. And I guess the rest is history. (laughs) Here today in 2023. So uh, when you walked into this radio station, what was their response when you told them your ideas? Um, Well, there's kind of a backstory I would have to tell. at the time, uh, right before I started the the uh, radio show, I was working for a high-end apparel company out of New York. And uh, one day I was just flipping the dial on the radio, and I heard a woman say, hey, are you a entrepreneur in the Philadelphia area? And if so, um, would you like to come on the show and promote your business? So I responded to that immediately. I thought, well, that'll be fun. I'll go on this show and talk about this. Uh, the company was called The Worth Collection. Um, talk a little bit about direct sales and fashion. And when I went home that day, I sat down and I thought, that is the coolest thing I've ever done. Um, but I want to be on the other side of the microphone. So I sent a thank you note to the host. And I said, um, if you ever need someone to fill in for you, I would love to do it. I just kind of threw that out there, you know, to see what would happen. And she responded pretty quickly. And she said, you know, Sue, I think you have the ability to host a show. Do you want to pitch an idea to our general manager? And so just a couple weeks later, I did. I knew I wanted 
an intimate one-on-one um, conversation with my guests. That's what I wanted the show to be. And I also wanted it to be for and about women um, because of my own personal life story and what I had overcome um, you know, in finding my confidence and, and my own voice. So the, the, the general manager of the station, he loved the idea, but I was a little naive to radio and I thought he was going to pay me for the show. And it turns out I have to pay him. So <laughs> that was a lesson, a big lesson learned in, um, the in and outs of radio broadcasting and finding sponsors and advertisers. So that that was the tricky part, finding guests for the show, um, kind of figuring out the mission and the, the the logo and all of that creative stuff. That's so fun. Um, but yes, that initial couple of years trying to sustain the show financially was a bit of a challenge. And how many years ago was this that you were pitching this idea? Um, it was 11 in August of 2012. Okay, gotcha. So this is, that was kind of ahead of its time, right? Just talking about like women in business, women's development. Yeah, that's uh, a yeah, that's a great point. I think it was exactly timely in in that moment, um, which is one of the things that helped me because, um, in that was the year um, Cheryl, Cheryl, oh my gosh, Facebook executive, drawing a blank on her last name, but um, she came out with a book. Um, and it was all about helping women in business and and companies to encourage them to step out using their voice to, to land in leadership roles. Sandberg, Cheryl Sandberg. And so that, that was kind of the beginning. Um, and it's always been very, very mission-driven for me. I think what I'm looking to pull out in these conversations is something that will... Um, have my listener be actionable, you know, as opposed to just inspired for a moment or two. I really um, try to pull something out of my guest that will resonate with that listener. Um, and, and they'll kind of go beyond being inspired just for the show. Can you share just a little bit about the experiences you, like you said, you had some life experiences that led to you to want to do this kind of a service to female business owners and leaders what were some of the experiences you had that kind of called you to go into this direction? Well, I think my my own personal life story, if I look back um, and think about the little Sue Rocco, um, I was always extremely fascinated with people. I just, that is truly my passion, meeting people, having conversations, and finding out where they came from and their own life story. So... Um, when I was younger, I struggled, you know, not just with kind of low self-esteem and low confidence, but I had anxiety, very severe anxiety growing up. And it carried with me well into my um, adulthood. Um, but what I did was I was continually working on myself really hard to move past that insecurity um, and the, the anxious feeling, you know, that I always had. And I had a belief underneath all that Thanks that I really was meant to do something. Um, it's just very hard to figure that out. I mean, for for all of us, really. Um, so the experience of being more of a follower than a leader, but overcoming that is what uh, I'm probably most proud of and wanting to help other girls and women get to that place as well. 
Sometimes it can take a very long time. And then, of course, I'm always incredibly impressed when I meet young women and young girls that are full of that confidence that I didn't have already at a young age. Um, those make for some of, you know, some of my favorite interviews as well. So as you're getting started into this um, radio show, um, you said that he was going to charge you to do the show. How much did he want to charge you to get started? In, in 2012, $250 a week. A week, was it a weekly episode? It was a weekly. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Gotcha. And so what was your thoughts on that since, like, I mean, we know now that it turns out you were successful, you're making money on the show now, but what were you thinking back then when you heard that? Uh, terrified. <laughs> I was thinking, oh, geez, now I have to go home and, you know, figure out how I'm going to, uh, for this no-name show, you know, no one knew Women to Watch, no one knew Sue Rocco, what am I going to do? So I have an incredible network of family and friends in Philadelphia. I grew up just outside of the city. And so I basically went home and, and reached out to friends and said, hey, I've got this great radio show and, and I'd love for you to advertise with me. And I was lucky, you know, in the beginning, people did that um, for me. And things just continued to evolve as I had more and more guests on the show, which um, it's never, ever been an issue for me to find guests. This show has continually booked five to six months out. Um, and I think, again, it's because women, they're looking for an opportunity to not only perhaps promote their business or their company, but really share their own journey and their story. So um, yeah, the financial piece, just begging in the beginning, <laughs> just begging people. Um, and then I came up with a business model. Um, I decided, you know, always the the main part of the program is my interview, but I wanted to bring women onto the show who could bring more content and news and uh, updates about what they're working on and what's happening in their industries for women in general. So um, we branded that the watch team. So my watch team of corporate partners are my sponsors. And they have uh, a segment within the show each week, um, as opposed to just running a commercial spot. We do produce a spot for them that airs sometimes before their segment, sometimes after, depending on um, how many minutes we have that week for the show, which is one hour. Um, but that is, you know, really what has enabled me to sustain the show all these years. Now, there's been plenty of years where I have not taken any income. It's just money in, money back to the producers. Um, that's kind of been the pattern. Um, so right now, I'm, I'm very excited, you know, 11 years in, because I'm meeting with um, a very uh, reputable communications firm in Philadelphia that's going to partner with me and help me with the business side of the show, something that is not my forte. So you were collecting sponsors for the show right from its inception, right at the very beginning? Is that right? Pretty much. I mean, I would say, you know, in the beginning, the, the, here's one of the things. If I if I could give advice to someone listening that wants to do a podcast, um, I would say to very much listen to your own intuition. Um, so in the beginning, I had a lot of people telling me, this is how you find advertisers. This is the manual. This is what you do for radio. And this is how you do it. Um, and it never, ever quite felt right to me. Um, 
And plus I had, you know, I had that kind of a awakening or revelation where, you know, I felt confident and ready to bring my full self out into the business world. So I don't want to say it was easy for me, but I made a commitment to myself that I was going to do this my way and not kind of listen to what everybody else was telling me to do. Um, so, you know, it took me a while to, to come up with the concept of the watch team. So I was just scrambling the first couple of years trying to find advertisers. And again, it was always just covering my cost. Um, the guests were there. They've always been there, booked out. Um, but that business side of radio or podcasting, is, is it's not easy. So how did you sell the concept of your show when it was so new? How did you sell that to the advertisers? Well, I think what what a company will see the show um, valuable for is it's a platform for, their, for them um, as companies in a world where we're talking about women's leadership and diversity and inclusion and all of that. My show became a place for them to demonstrate their support of that. Here's the initiatives we're doing within, I'll, I'll throw out Comcast because <clears throat> they were one of my early sponsors and um, they did a veterans and military affairs segment on the show every week. And their senior vice president, Carol Eggert, um, first of all, she was such a dynamo. She has since retired, um, but she did such a great job of talking about what, it, what Comcast is doing for their veterans and military um, affairs and and departments. And so, again, podcasting hadn't quite blown up yet then. So perhaps the show was novel in that way. And um, again, then, you know, then it just kind of continued to expand from there. <clears throat> yeah, I feel like even today, there's still a lot of people that don't understand the power that all like you can get such specific information out of podcasts you know a lot of people kind of overlook it as a medium but it's for me i've been listening since like it first came out 2010 era even before that a little bit and it's especially since you could get it on a smartphone and stuff it's been such a nice platform to get super specific find exactly the information you want and usually on a regular basis so it's really nice to have those kind of channels yeah so at what point did you make the switch from radio to podcast uh 2020 in 2020. 2020. Yeah, at some point in 2020. I can't, that's a little bit of a fog, I think, for all of us that 2021. 20, um, but yeah, I, I think that my move to radio was a great step for the show. It opened up the exposure. Um, certainly a talk radio program like 1210 in Philadelphia, you know, has a great track record, lots of listeners. Um, but then it occurred to me that my demographic, my audience is not necessarily the audience that's listening to 1210. Um, so I decided to just um, go with the podcast and the 6ABC video stream. So by paying them that 250 was that part of that cover distribution and the production of the show? Like what did that cover on there of on your On radio on the radio station? Yeah. Just uh it's not two it was not 250. <laughs> I went from 250 a week to whatever it breaks down to 52,000 a year hmm. for them to yeah. produce um and put it out on the airwaves. Yeah. Yeah, so it's like 1,000 a week then. It's 1,000 so. a week. Yeah, that was a big scary moment for me. I actually had um, 
a producer in Philadelphia who found my show and said, Sue, you really should bring it to 1210. And I said, well, I would love to, but um, I don't have $1,000 a week for the show. And he, you know, he, he was someone that really believed in me and the program early on. And he said, Sue, you, you have something interesting here. And if you put it on the show, the, the advertisers and sponsors will come. And so, you know, that was a big risk for me, and I did it. Unfortunately, he was right, um, and I did manage to, <clears throat> excuse me, I did manage to get the sponsors I needed um, to keep recording. However, it was still money in, money out because of that big production price, um, which is another reason I decided to get off radio. Now, did you have numbers as to, like, how large your audience was or anything like that? Uh, very little, which is, is kind of the, you know, for a, what's called a brokered show. So I was not an employee of Odyssey, who owns 1210. Um, yeah, it's, it was an extremely expensive um, cost for me. I'm sorry, I forget the question you well, asked. Well, I was just wondering if, like, do they tell you how many people are listening oh, to I'm your sorry. show? Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, the analytics. Your audience. Yeah. No, they couldn't give it for my specific show, only for the station itself, so the that station. I could surmise, you know, if there's a million listeners tuning in, um, then somebody's bound to land on my show. And then, of course, I would be promoting it and pushing it out over the podcast. Right, because I'm thinking as a sponsor that that's probably the number that they're interested in when they're considering advertising on your show were you finding that to be the case or were they just interested because of the topics you were dealing with yeah actually that's a great question i would say people who and i will i will say sponsored are sponsors because I, I haven't really done advertising per se on the show it really is more a person or an organization who um number one wants to connect with my very targeted demographic right so the the listeners are mostly women um, ages 28 to 60. And so that's a very um, specific demographic. It's certainly a wonderful demographic um, as consumers um, for any company, right? It, you know, there's a statistic about women being, you know, the number one consumer of all goods. Um, so, um, okay, so you're essentially an influencer over this target group. Uh, well, I kind of shy away from that word, influencer. I'm not a fan of that. Um, I would say I'm a connector. Okay. I'm a connector and I'm a networker for sure. Um, I absolutely love bringing people together for opportunities. So as part of the community, the people that come on my show, the um, the network of people who listen, and, and just all of the women I've met along the way, Talking to one woman and recognizing that there's something she needs that another woman has, I love to do that. I love to make those connections. Over the years, has the format or concept of the show itself evolved at all? Um, only with the watch team. So, you know, uh, my interview has never, ever really changed. I'm digging in at the very beginning to their upbringing and their family and hopefully getting them to open up as well about what their struggles were when they were young. Um, and then what allowed them, particularly a woman, to reach a high level um, within her field that other women are not able to do. You know, there's a lot of talk about the barriers and the glass ceilings, et cetera, for women. Um, but these women 
were able to do it. And so I want to bring forth that story of how they how they did. Was there any common themes that you uncovered? A couple. Um, but probably the first thing that comes to mind for me is when I ask a guest what you know what was challenging for you as perhaps the only woman um, in the room amongst twenty men, let's say. Did you feel intimidated? Was there anything that you felt was unfair? And I would say the majority of women that have been on my show have all said, I didn't even think about that. I don't worry about that. I just did the work and the work proved my abilities. So there was that, even in the, you know, the women that had self-doubt, insecurities, you know, which I think is just human to have, um, there was still something inside that said they were fully capable and they could do it and they did so it's kind of like just putting your head down and doing the work um that seems to be a theme among if i think about all the women i've interviewed which is over 500 at this point that is a common theme another theme which i really love it find it interesting is many of them had fathers who believed in them you know it was a male figure in their life that that said, you can do it, you know, don't doubt it, go f- after your dream, um, use your gifts, and and you can do it. That's been very, very common um, when I talk about who's someone who's influenced you, you know, mm-hmm. I talk like my hands. mentors. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. Did you have any mentors um, in helping you grow the pro- the podcast? Um, okay. I would say uh, Joe Krause was was the gentleman who um, thought I had a good show and helped me bring it to 1210. Um, and he's a producer. He's he's in the field. Um, mentors, I have a lot of women who were guests and now are friends. And um, I think when you sit down and spend an hour with someone in a very intimate conversation, you know, you do get to know each other and you become friends. And so, so many of these women who are or have been CEOs of Fortune 500s, um, founders, entrepreneurs, um, I'm able to tap into their expertise on a regular basis. Um, And it's been, yeah, it's been really great for me. What has your strategy been for getting some of those higher level guests? Like what's your process to book someone? It's who's... kind of organic. Um, I would say I do my research every day. You know, one of the best parts of my job is kind of researching and finding out what women are doing out there and who's doing something worth, you know, speaking about or who has a really great story. So, you know, I'm just reading online um, and then I'm reaching out with a personal note. Um, and then eventually publicists started reaching out to me because they had clients that they wanted to be on the show. So my, I would say, I don't, I think I'm unique. I don't really have a strategy. Um, I just meet someone. I, I tell them from a very personal standpoint why I think they're worthy to come on the show. Um, and it seems to resonate. And, and I've also had women from all around the world, not just in Philadelphia. Some of those have been my favorite, you know, learning about women um, from different countries, the Middle East, Africa, India, and what they face as a woman, you know, in business has been so much fun to learn about. 
So I, I don't know. I think I'm just lucky as far as landing good guests. And some have been very notable, you know, names you would know, and some are not, um, but all with equally important stories. So over the years, as your show has grown, has there been any points that you've really noticed, like a significant jump from like a business development standpoint? Um, a jump? Is that what you said? Yeah, like a jump in the growth of your show or like a time where you implemented a strategy that you noticed really had an effect on the, the success and the growth of your show. Um, I would say there wasn't, a, there wasn't a sudden jump. It has very much evolved over the years. Um, and I would say right now, in this moment, sitting here with the two of you, I am most excited about what I believe is going to happen for the show. Um, and that has come about with a new partnership um, that I have with a company called Athena Global Advisors. And they're a global communications company. And they um, have decided to kind of take me under their wings and really help me to bring more exposure to the show, um, you know, build out the brand from a creative way and, and, and just help in the things that I think as the host and the founder, I was never good with promoting, talking about myself and the show and, and uh, the impact that it's having. I've, I've always felt like somebody else, I would like to be telling that story, um, not a good self-promoter. So I would, you know, right now, I think there's going to be some very big things happening for the show. Yeah. What are some of the main things that they're digging into with you as they're advising you to grow your show? Um, I think they're, they're digging into what I have done and bringing forward the impact. So the number of interviews, the, the caliber of people I have had on the show, um, the engagement I have uh, on social media, uh, the, the number of downloads that we get you know, every month or in the thousands, um, the companies that have, have signed on to work with us. I'll say us. It's not just me. I, I have an incredible um, assistant, associate producer. Her name is Taylor McElhenney. And she started out as an intern for me and has been with me ever since, um, helping me to manage the website, the podcast, on her newsletter, um, and just all the guests, you know, management of the guests, sending them information, prepping them for the show, et cetera. She's done so much. Um, so, yeah, I think. And this is like a, a full-time thing for you, right? Full-time. Full-time. Yeah. It's, it, and people were surprised by that. It's one hour a week. But when I'm not, you know, recording a show, I'm researching and um, trying to find new guests. And um, At what point did it become full-time? Like, did it go from kind of like the, the side project to the main um, career? It, it was full-time from day one. From day one. Okay, yeah. Wow. Yeah. So I guess from that beginning point where you were just paying out of your own pocket, were you just kind of taking a leap of faith? Like, Absolutely. <laughs> totally. Um, you know, my husband was curious as to whether this was a hobby or was it going to be lucrative at all. And um, yeah, I get, again, I'm, I'm having so much fun with the work and what I do. I was just determined to keep it going, you know, really from day one. So it took, you know, it's, you guys know as, as, business owners, yourself and entrepreneurs, you're never not thinking about your business. 
Um, I love the flexibility of it. I'm able to record from home so I can in between get personal life tasks done. And um, But I'm thinking about it every day around the clock and, and checking emails at night and on the weekends. And um, But it never felt... It never felt like a grind. So how did it work when you first started and you had no clout or history of a show to show to people? How did it work getting guests without any history of a show to book them originally? That, that's a good question. Um, and I, I would say it probably started with my very first guest. So when the general manager said, you know, we like your idea for the show and, and we will produce it and broadcast it for you now go find your first guest. You know, I had a panic for a minute. And uh, I went home and I was flipping through the Philadelphia magazine. And I saw a story on um, Sharon Pinkinson. And Sharon Pinkinson is the executive director for the Philadelphia Film Office. You guys might know her um, in Philadelphia. And I read her story and I thought, wow, that's a great story Sharon has. She started out, I believe... My memory's a little foggy on it, but I know she was at one point, you know, the prop director um, in a film studio or something. And now all these years later, she's sitting in the top spot of the Philadelphia Film Office. And she had generated, I believe it was $40 billion of revenue for the city um, for film. So I picked up the phone <laughs> and I called her office. She didn't know who I was. And um, I just, I kind of, I think one of the things I did that is really helpful for anyone starting out, I used language as if the show was already a thing, you know? I said, I have this radio show, and um, it's, it's an intimate interview with women leaders, and what you've done in Philadelphia is remarkable, um, and I'd love to have you on my show. And so... Um, she actually asked me to come down to her office and we met in person. And I think I just won her over. I didn't have a name for the show. There was no numbers or audience or anything. And she agreed to do it. She just said, I'm, I'll, I'm happy to be your first guest. And so having a name like Sharon as my first guest, she already had some notoriety in the area, just led to the next one and the next one and the next one. Um, but, but not being afraid to ask. You know, not being afraid to reach out and just make the ask, because if it's a no, you know, you're not any further back than before you made mm -hmm. the ask. So if you were going to start another show right now, what would be some of the first things that you'd put into place? Another show other than Women to Watch? Yeah, yeah, like a brand new show. Um, what would be your processes that you would want to get in place right out of the gate? Hmm. That's a very, I never got that question before. <laughs> I think I'm very devoted and committed to Women Who Watch. Um, I'm, well, I'm, I'd just like to explore the processes of business development. I'm wondering if there's any like essential processes that you've found that work really well for your show. So maybe like over the years, you've, you've discovered a way of running things that if you could go back to the beginning, that maybe you'd do something different. Oh, definitely. Uh, I would do a lot of things different. And I think that's just because when I first started, I didn't know anything. I literally didn't know anything about broadcasting or radio um, or, or even business. I'm such a very um, communication language focused person when it comes to numbers. 
and running a business, um, really not my forte. So I was just kind of scrambling and doing, you know, doing the next right thing without having a plan or a strategy. That's really how my brain works. I'm a little unusual that way. Everyone wants to know, you know, what this, what's the strategy? And I, I really just do the next right thing. That, that's how I work. Um, but of course, over the years, I've learned, you know, better ways to, to try to reach a company, better ways to try and communicate what Women to Watch is all about, why it's important, why it's relevant. Um, so I would say, I think, you know, the how and why of, of, of doing Women to Watch was not something I sat down and put on paper and then followed any rules. Um, it really literally was one day at a time. So what is your like boiled down strategy for getting sponsors on the show at this point? What is like the whole, what does that look like? Or if someone has a podcast and that's something they want to try to do? Yeah, I, I would say most of the time my guest on my show was my next potential sponsor. So they had the ability to experience the program and um, and my interview style. And then, you know, we put it nicely together for them and, and uh, sent it out to them so that they could push it out on their own platforms and social media and website. Um, and so that just kind of continued to spread the network, right? If you're, if, if the guest on your show is equally promoting it as I was, all of a sudden there's these other eyes and ears on the show. And that allowed me to tap into her network um, and then that just kept spreading wide, you know. Um, and so, again, and I think when I – one of the uh, platforms, is, which is my favorite, is LinkedIn. Um, you can go there and have the ability to send a very personal note to someone unless unless they're blocked and, you know, you don't have their email address, which is some, sometimes the case. Um, but having an opportunity to send a very personal note to someone and say – you know, hi, this is Sue Rocco, this is what I do, and I think an opportunity for you might be of interest. Is That short little personal note is so very powerful. Um, and I think a lot of people will send the generic, I'd like to connect with you. That doesn't work, you know. You have to really have a reason for why you want to talk to somebody and and do your homework on them before you do. You know, so I never kind of reach out to a stranger and try to get them to respond um, because the the ask has to be to them. Um, she did a little bit of homework. You know, she did a little something on me before she reached out. Um, so that's probably a piece of advice I would give anybody who wants to start a podcast. So of all the guests that you've had on your show, um, do any kind of stand out to you that have been some of the most memorable or, or things, people who you've learned from the most? Um, that's a question I get asked very often, and it's very hard for my little brain <laughs> to think about um, all of the people I interviewed. Um, this one always comes to, to the top of my mind, and it, and it was kind of cool. Um, I interviewed Lady Gaga's mother, and I got to do that in New York in person, in a, um, I would say a prop room, I was talking about Sharon Pinkinson working in the prop room, of um, CBS, um, because that is the only space they had at the time. Her assistant said, this is where you're going to sit and talk to Cynthia Germanata. And we were behind a 
um, like a wooden separate separate or separation board. What's that thing called? Yeah, Separates a room. Wall kind of a thing. Yeah, yeah. And we sat on two stools, and I had my phone. You know, I just was recording with her. It was one of the funnest interviews I've ever done. And, you know, Lady Gaga's mom could have strolled in all highfalutin and self-important, and she was the complete opposite. She's one of the sweetest, kindest people I've ever met in my life. And then having her bring forward stories about Lady Gaga when she was little um, was so fascinating. You know, really, really interesting. One of my favorite interviews. Is she? What does she do herself? She's the founder of, uh, or I should say she's the leader of a foundation Lady Gaga started. And it all centers around, they work with young people, and, and centers around kindness. The power of kindness is at the root of, of her work. Um, and they do pop-up workshops and things all around the world, and they bring in young people. And, you know, it, it's really about helping them with their self-esteem. One question I always like to ask is just over the years, have there been any like major mistakes that you would warn uh, a new person starting up a show to avoid? Forgetting a meeting. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That is my worst nightmare. And I think I am so crazy conscientious. First of all, I will never be late. I will never, ever, ever be late. I'm on time or early. And I can remember a time where I scheduled a meeting with someone and we were both going to drive to that meeting. Um, So I know she did. I know she marked off the time. um, And I forgot. (laughs) I'm not sure what happened to me that day, but I completely forgot about the meeting. I was mortified. So I would say, don't do that. (laughs) Don't be a no-show on people. Um, And I probably have made a lot... (laughs) When I think about the financial part of my business, I, I know I have made a significant number of mistakes um, because I, I just, I really struggle with um, the finance part of the business. And so um, I turn to my husband and he helps me. <laughs> um, so do you manage like a, a balance in the business or do you use credit? What kind of financial... Um, tools do you use to run your business? Oh, QuickBooks. QuickBooks for accounting? Yep. Okay, gotcha. QuickBooks has been my savior. (laughs) Yeah, so you're working with the new firm now to help grow things. Do you have like a vision for the final form of the show? Like how big you want to get or any dream guests or platforms Uh, you want to hit? Lots of dream guests. Lots of dream guests. I'm not sure you guys would know any of them. Yeah, yeah. Who? Let us know. Who are you after? Brene Brown. I'm after Brene Brown. Uh, Glennon Doyle. Um, I what think do these women do? They are, uh, Brene Brown is an author and a professor, um, and she has studied, it's very interesting, she has spent her entire career studying vulnerability. Um, she's done TED Talks. She's incredibly wise. She's funny, and she brings her expertise and her, uh, she has a doctorate in and she, the, you know, what is at the root of vulnerability, believe it or not, it's been a lifelong study for her and how it can help executives and people in their lives. Um, and Glennon Doyle is, it's really hard to describe Glennon Doyle. She's also an author. Um, she stepped out very publicly 
um, at the PA conference for women and spoke about her very, very um, difficult struggles with addiction and um, anxiety and depression, all those things that are hard for people, she decided she was going to talk about it out loud and kind of get rid of the stigma that comes with that. And she too is funny. Uh, Funny is very important to me. I like people with a sense of humor. Um, And she is, she's incredible. She has an incredible life story. You have to Google her name to find out the whole story of her life. Um, Maria Shriver, I think I'd love to have. Of course, I'd love to interview Oprah. She's just been busy. <laughs> She's been very it's busy. I that. made attempts to get to her, but I, so far, I haven't been able to. Um, for the women who are in business and looking to move into roles in leadership, what do you think some of like the challenges that they're having? Is it a lot of confidence issues? Like, what do you think boils down to like some of the biggest struggles that they're facing? Yeah, I you know it sounds kind of cliche, but I believe it to be the truth. You. The only thing that holds anyone back is their own lack of belief in themselves. That's it. Um, skills can be learned and, and a job can be learned and connecting with the right people, really important, you know. Um, but I feel that the belief in oneself has to come first. And it's usually a, an awareness that um, I know it was for me was this awakening of you know, there is no other Sue Rocco. You know, we're all originals and we're all one of a kind. And if that's true, then we all have something different to offer the world. And we should follow that path, not look around and compare ourselves to everyone else. And I think women do that. I think women do that more than men. Um, they look outward to, to figure out what, what the right thing to be doing when really it's you've got to listen to your your internal voice, it is the one that knows where you belong and what you should be doing. Um, and there's no reason to to follow someone else, uh, their path, their journey. Um, having mentors, is, mentors for me is more motivational, inspirational, but it's it should not be for someone else to tell you what to do. You have all the answers. You just have to listen. You have a lot of listeners for the show. Do you have interactions with them? And do you get to ever hear any feedback on how the show might have affected them through some of the interviews you've heard? I, I have. I do. I get emails from my listeners on our website. Um, some of the greatest messages have been from men, fathers of daughters, and they listen to the show and they've, you know, one of two things will happen. They they listen to the show and they, they say, you know, um, what you're doing and how you're doing it is something I really want my daughter to listen to. And then I've had other dads reach out and say, you wouldn't believe what my daughter's doing. You need to have her on the show. Um, those are always fun notes to get. But my, my listeners do send emails uh, through the website and they talk about particular interviews. You know, I think there's always a moment or one person will say, one thing, and maybe they've heard it a million times before, but in that moment from that person, um, it changed something in them, you know, and and they make a decision that they're going to go about their life a little bit differently. That's the greatest part of what I get to do. So, uh, yeah, what kind of plans do you have for the future of the show? 
Well, I'm currently looking for a new producer. <laughs> we can help you there. Uh, I'm looking for a new producer, um, somebody that, you know, um, can work in tandem with me and my new PR team. Um, I have not, you know, being a sole proprietor, I haven't had the bandwidth myself to bring more creativity to the show. I have a lot of ideas, but um, I've been very busy booking the show, hosting the show, selling the show, doing the social media, managing the website. Um, so I, I really believe that the show is unique in its two-part uh, format, the the personal intimate conversation, but then the segments and additional content from all of these women who are bringing news and updates, you know, in business and science and technology and and sports and, you know, all of the, all of the industries. So um, I have a lot of ideas for how the show, the, the caliber of the show needs to be lifted. It's deserving of a better level of production. Um, and I also think that's going to attract the, the big sponsors. Um, because again, you know, you, there's how many podcasts are there? Do you guys know? What's I think the number? There was like 8 million or something. 8 like million. That. It's like a lot of them. Right. So, I might have just made that up, but I'm pretty sure it's in, <laughs> I know it's in the millions. Eight, oh my gosh. So that's very intimidating, right? There, yeah. There's millions and millions of podcasts and someone says, I'm going to start my own podcast. So there ha it has to be something there, right, that's going to attract people. It has to be different. And I don't believe there's any other show in the arena of women's empowerment that is like this show, that has the twofold pieces of educational, but also, you know, entertaining in, in its um, bringing forth personal stories. So, Yeah, so what are some of the production techniques you're currently using? And... Um, I mean, you're mostly online now, right? So the show airs, um, I record every Wednesday at 1. My producer, that uh, my past producer, I should say, because the show is on a hiatus right now while we're um, working with Athena. Um, and it, it's been very straightforward. They send StreamYard, which is a program, I guess, for recording podcasts. Um, myself and my guests pop up. It's a two-box, you know, very similar to a Zoom um, and we record to live. So we go right through recording the show. And then there's um, post-production that drops in the segments from our corporate partners and any commercial spots that we have. Um, and then it goes out to um, Spotify, Apple, Google Play, Amazon, Stitcher, pretty much every major podcast platform. Um, it also goes to YouTube. We just launched a YouTube page um, when we started with the video piece of the show. Um, so it's on 6abc.com and our own website. We have, I've archived every single interview I've ever done is there and can be listened to at womentowatch.net. Have you considered doing live interviews and building a set or anything like that? That would be awesome. <laughs> I would love to do that. Um, it requires a little bit more money. So um, I do love a live interview. I, I you know, on radio, there was a time the show was live. And I find it easier, actually, to be in the moment, talking about the moment as it's unfolding, as opposed to recording and knowing it's going to go out a week later. Um, so if that opportunity comes to be, I, I would be all over that. How did your partnership with 6ABC come about? 
Um, my producer at the time um, has many shows that he he's working on, and he's really expanding his sports um, programming. And so he negotiated a deal with 6ABC for his sports show, and then he turned around and negotiated a deal for me with Women to Watch. Um, and I saw, I think, that, you know, the the content of the show, um, the integrity of the show with which it's done was appealing to 6ABC. So, you know, they, they're, my show will bring them clicks and, and, you know, listeners and viewers. And for me, it's just putting more eyes and ears on the show. Um, so that's been a really, that's been a really good deal. So if someone wants to get in touch with you or suggest a guest or anything, what's the best way to get a hold of you? Uh, email. Email's great. And uh, they can reach me at susan at womentowatch.net. So that's women, the number two, watch.net, N-E-T. Okay. Well, Sue, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been great to hear your story. Thank you. I appreciate it. It was fun. Stories from the Top is your guide to successful business development. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts or find Edge of Cinema on YouTube. Stories from the Top is an Edge of Cinema production hosted by Matthew Skura and Jeremy Schmidt. To learn more or get in touch, visit edgeofcinema.com slash podcast.